We're into Advent, and uh, today we're going to be talking about something called audacious hope. Now, Advent, the word Advent just simply means the beginning of something. It's an anticipation of something. It is a start. So we're in the start, the anticipation of this season, this season where we get to celebrate the birth of Jesus, or maybe another way to say it is we get to celebrate the event where we are told that Almighty God became one of us. Now, hang on to that for a moment. We often think about Advent as, this is where baby Jesus is, you know, and that's cute, and it's wonderful, and it's true. But what is equally true, and I think equally more powerful, is that Almighty God became an infant and entered into this life that we also live. That was a powerful statement of just how much our Father loves us. Now, if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 15. This is probably an unusual passage for people when you start thinking about Advent, when you start thinking about the Christmas season. But one of the things that we talk about in Advent is hope, a biblical hope. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Romans 15, 13. Now, if you are unfamiliar with your Bibles, I don't want you to feel ashamed about that because many people are unfamiliar with where things are in their scriptures. So, in the beginning of your Bible, there is a table of contents. People worked really hard to put it there. Don't be ashamed to use it. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. And one of the ways we like to show respect for God's word here at Pathways, we like to stand for the reading of his word. So, would you please stand with me? Romans 15, 13. Here's what it says. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that you are the God of hope. And not wishful thinking, but hope, confidence. And so, Jesus, I pray that as we're looking into your word this morning, as we're challenging ourselves in terms of how we interact with this concept of biblical hope, I pray, Jesus, that you will have us have more confidence in your word, in your purposes, and in what you call us into. In your name I pray. Amen. So there's a large number of people in the world who have had what you would call audacious dreams and goals. And in these audacious dreams and goals, they were leaning into things that were so much bigger than themselves that they didn't really have any measure of understanding whether or not this would actually come true. Here's what I mean by audacious. If you look at the dictionary, this is what audacious means. Showing a willingness to take risks or offend others. That's audacious. A willingness to take risks or offend others. Now, when we're talking about the Christian faith and we're talking about hope, we're talking about this idea that there is a risk of something that we're pressing into that might be confusing for some other people. It's a risk, they would say. Atheists might say, well, you don't know that there's anything out there, and so then you're just having this blind faith. You're risking something. And we sit back and we say, mm, not so much. We're not the ones risking. 
You're risking the fact that there isn't anything. That seems like an audacious risk. We have an audacious hope, or, or maybe even offend people. Have you ever hoped for something, have you dreamed towards something that was so big, so enormous that the people around you were kind of bothered by it? Anybody ever have something like that? Some of you? Yeah. And you might hear people say things like, no, that'll never happen. You shouldn't dream so big. You shouldn't have such a pie-in-the-sky attitude towards life. Let me tell you something. You need to dream immense. And the reason you need to dream immense is because the God of hope, the God of creation created you with purpose, and he wants something for you to pour into. Dream big. Dream so big that it can't happen unless God's a part of it. That's audacious hope. It also says adventurous. This audacious hope is adventurous. It actually, in the dictionary, says this. Are you ready? Now, this is not supposed to be gender-specific, but hear me when I say this. It says, be man enough to do something. Audacious hope. Be man enough to hope. Be woman enough to hope. That's a statement of strength, isn't it? That's a statement of commitment, isn't it? Hope, audacious hope. Now, last week I asked uh, on our social media platforms, I asked for people to share with me some big hopes and dreams that they had, things that they hoped would happen in life. And we had a lot of great ideas coming from people, things that are wonderful, actually. Uh, for example, uh, open a successful business, become a writer. Uh, for my family to encourage, love, and be there for each other, build each other up, and spend time together. Or uh, to be a veterinarian that travels the world. That sounds amazing, except I don't like, like dirty animals. <laughs> How about this one? This is one of my favorites. I have a dream to own a Chick-fil-A. Yeah, that person's everyone's favorite now. I dreamed of going to university when I was young and then went off the rails in my teenage years and I thought there was no way I'd ever go and now I'm doing master's courses. That's a hope fulfilled, right? I've always dreamed of holding a golf tournament for cancer care. I think of a time when Jesus returns and we get that peace, that joy and no more worries. That's what I think of that all our hearts long for the day that Jesus returns. And that is the point today. That's the point. We hope for so many things. When we were younger with our kids, I had hoped for perfect weather for my kids' birthday parties when they were young. Now I find myself hoping that they find something on Oak Island. <laughs> or I hope that the amount of food I eat at Christmas will go to fuel my brain and expand my brain rather than my waistline and my blood sugars. But I have no reason to believe any of these things will happen the way I want them to, do I? I don't. I don't have anything to, to back them. But I still hope. Theologically, it's a big, big word, Hope is linked to faith. We know that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And since faith is the trust we place in God's word and his hand and his heart, 
It gives foundation to our hope. God is our reason for optimism. Whatever hope is detached from faith, it actually just simply becomes a wish. So let me say it this way. If what I want falls outside the scope of God's promise and plan, it remains a personal wish. Let me say it again. If what I want falls outside of the scope of God's promise and plan, it remains a personal wish. Another way to say it would be, the faith we hold in the promise of God feeds a spirit of enthusiastic expectation. The faith we hold in the promise of God feeds a spirit of enthusiastic expectation. We get pumped and excited about things. Here's what I mean. Romans 4, 18. talks about a great man of faith. It starts talking about Abraham. Now, Abraham is the father of the Jewish community. He is the father of Israel. And despite being close to 100 years old, and his, despite being married to Sarah, who was well past the childbearing years, and at the age of 90, chose to believe that God could do what he had promised more than two decades earlier to do. Namely, to give him and Sarah a child of their own in their own bodies. Now, I'm just going to try this. Who in the room here is over the age of 40? Raise your hand. Hey, representing. All right. Over the age of 50? 60? We got a couple. <laughs> 70? All right, I'm going to talk to you personally right now. <laughs> Can you imagine getting pregnant right now? You all laugh. They're mortified. <laughs> now, this isn't to pick people out of a crowd, but I want you to understand that at, uh, So Abraham and, and Sarah are, are told that, you know, at, at 100 years old, and she's at around 90, that they're going to have a baby. That doesn't sound like good news. I'm 45. Love my kids. Don't want more. And then we read from Paul that Abraham, in hope, he believed against hope. That Abraham hoped against hope is what it says. Now, grammatically, that's an oxymoron, to hope against hope. It's a figure of speech that seems contradiction, like a contradiction of ideas when they're combined. For example, thunderous silence. Have you heard that one? Or sweet sorrow. That's another one. Or bittersweet. Or good morning. <laughs> <laughs> when everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway. You catch that? When everything seemed hopeless. He's 100. His wife is in her 90s. It seemed hopeless Abraham believed anyway, deciding to live not on the basis of what he couldn't do, but rather on the basis of what God said he would do. You catch that? He hoped against hope. His hope was not on the basis of what he couldn't do, but on what God said he would do. And so hope, then, is the confidence in God's declared word. That's what hope is. It is confidence in God's declared word. So, for example, Romans 8. It says, you ready? 
nothing can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. You hear that? God says nothing can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. So the confidence, the hope that we have in God's declared word is that we can't be separated from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. That's a truth claim. That's a belief we can have. That is a confidence we can have. That is the hope that we have. And it's in God's declared word. Isaiah 7.14 is an example of what the Jewish community was looking forward to. You see, when we talk about hope in the context of the Christmas story in Advent, we're talking about Israel's expectation of the Messiah coming. And so in Isaiah 7.14, you have this story. Israel is fighting in and amongst themselves, and Isaiah gets this word from God, and he says, therefore, God will, God will, right? This is God's activity. He is going to provide the Messiah, and it's going to come in the form of a virgin giving birth, and he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. And this is the expectation. This is the hope they had. God declared something. Israel hoped towards it. And then we know that in the story, Jesus came. The Messiah was born. The hope that Israel had was fulfilled. That's not the end. You see, because a new advent started when Jesus says that he's coming back. There's a new hope. Ooh, it's almost Star Wars-y. There's a new advent that had begun. The anticipation of the return of Jesus. And so we have confidence in God's declared word. God said that he's going to send the Messiah. And he's going to come in the form of being birthed by a virgin. And he will be God with us, right? So that happened. And so we can then have confidence in the fact that God declared that he's coming Israel's hope was in the coming Messiah. The believer's hope is the return of that Messiah. Now let's understand this. If we don't get this, if we don't understand this, we will likely equate biblical hope with wishful thinking. I've heard so many people in our community, when we talk to them about if they have any idea of what's going to happen to them when they pass away, you know what I often hear? I hear it this way. Oh, I hope God lets me into heaven. You ever hear it that way? Raise your hand if you've heard it that way before. Yeah. Does that sound like wishful thinking to you? That's not confidence in God's declared word. What did he say? Do you remember Romans 10? Do you remember what he says? This is a beautiful passage. He says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. What does it say? You will be saved. That's what it says. You will. Not you might. You will be saved. So if we don't get this, we will likely equate biblical hope with, with wishful thinking. And the result is living like it won't happen. The result is living like it won't happen. I mean, imagine that. How many of you believe that Jesus is returning? Raise your hand. All right. 
That's awesome. Put your hands down. How about this? How many of you live like he is? See what I mean? See what I mean? Wishful thinking leads to commonplace living. But biblical hope leads to, leads to life change. It leads to wanting others to hear that Christian hope. Here's the Christian hope. No person is so lost that they can't be changed by the gospel. That's Christian hope. No person is so lost that they can't be changed by the gospel. Or how about this? Christian hope says that no situation, none, is so desperate that God is powerless over it. No situation is so desperate that God is powerless over it. And what would life be like if we lived that way? Regardless of what difficulty you've got going on in life, regardless of what your family situations are, your work situation, your health, whatever it is, no situation that any of us encounter is so big that God is powerless over it. And what, what more than that is that any single person on the planet can be changed by the gospel. I don't care who they are. I don't care what they've done. They can be changed by the gospel. I'll say it this way. You, you want to get uncomfortable? Let's get uncomfortable. Hitler could have been changed by the gospel. And that's uncomfortable. But it's true. Why? Because God is not subject to him. It's the other way around. No situation is so desperate that God is powerless over it. So let's talk about hope according to Romans 15, 13. First thing would be this, that hope originates with God. May the God of hope fill you. The Advent season is the time of year when we're reminded to remember that God is a God of hope and that God has given us that hope. He's a God of hope and he's given us that hope. And hope is used in this verse to speak of an unseen future hope. An unseen future thing that's going to take place. It's unseen because it hasn't happened yet. But it's confidence that we have moving forward. It's a hope that looks forward to this incredibly amazing outcome. It's a hope that anticipates what God is going to do. And the hope with which God fills us is the hope that 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 good outcome of eternal life and heaven will in fact take place. The eternal life in heaven will in fact take place. In Thessalonians 4, 13, Scripture says, We don't want you to be ignorant about those who die or grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. And then the text goes on to promise that one day Christ will come and the dead in Christ will rise from their graves and then those who are still alive we're going to meet the Lord in the air. Does that sound like hope to you? Does that sound exciting to you? How many of you are got a mental picture of that? You know, like it's just like way better than The Walking Dead. When you're raised to Christ, and then those of us who are still alive are going to be meeting him in the air. There's just this incredible mental image. It's like a swarm. Of people who love Jesus coming to him. 
And so what we then understand is that Advent is a celebration of that hope that it is ours in the birth of Christ who saves us from our sins. That's Matthew 1.21. Advent is the celebration of the hope that is ours in the birth of Christ who saves us from our sins. When the angel comes to Mary, the angel actually says that he will save men from their sins, save the world from their sins. Right? And you will call his name Jesus, for he will save the world from his sins. Secondly, Advent is the season in which we celebrate our hope in the second coming of Christ. Colossians 1.27, we're told that Christ in us gives us the hope of glory. Christ in us gives us the hope of glory. Titus 2.13 reminds us that we wait for a blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Biblical hope is founded on the return of Jesus for the Christian experience. But it is actually grounded in the declared word of God. In other words, God says, so it is. That's how it works. And we can have confidence in that, in his declared word. It is the God of hope who gives us hope. And in receiving that hope, we experience joy and peace. And let's talk about joy and peace then. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, Romans 15, 13. Joy is not a joy we receive someday. This is a joy that is a delight or a joy associated with this life, that in this life we can have joy, regardless of what the experience is. In this life we can have joy. It is a joy that we experience in the presence, and this peace is not a peace that we got to wait for to receive. We don't just got to wait for it. It's a peace we receive in this life and for this life. It's a peace of mind and of heart. It splashes all into all of life. You ever have that peace? The scripture says like this peace that surpasses all understanding. You ever have something going on in life and for some reason you just felt, yeah, you know what? I was, I was at peace about it. I was just at peace about it. Regardless of whatever it was could be something enormous going on in your life. Maybe you were dealing with a health issue and it was a bit of a scare, but for some reason you just felt peace in the middle of it. Or maybe there was something going on in the family or at work and, or in the world around us and for some reason you just felt a sense of peace about it that just didn't make a lot of sense. It's the kind of peace I'm talking about that we can have as we pursue and rest in Jesus. You see, you see that's, that's how it works. We rest in Jesus. He gives us peace and hope and joy. It's a joy and a peace that the follower of Christ experiences in Romans 8.28, where in it our hope that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. But it's not enough that God initiates hope and that he gives us joy and peace. God gives it so that it overflows out of us and it splashes onto the people around us. And so hope is not contained, but it is contagious. Hope is not contained. It is contagious. Now, this last point is different than the one you got in your bulletin, so I'll just say it again. Hope is not containable, but it is contagious. 
May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The notion of overflowing infers abundance or excess. When something overflows, there's extra. Last night, or yesterday afternoon, my daughter Morgan and I, we went to go get a Christmas tree, and we went and bought a, a real tree, and we put it in, and put some water in, make sure it was going to drink it up. Definitely experienced the overflowing part. <laughs> kind of made a bit of a mess. Didn't tell Janet about it, though. <laughs> Got to clean it up quick. But there's this overflowing, right? Where it's just it's getting poured in, poured in, poured in, poured in, poured in, and then it just overflows and impacts the stuff around it. That's what we get. When something overflows, there's a surplus in the biblical context, the overflowing of things like mercy and grace and joy and peace is good. What it means is, is that as we experience joy, we offer it. As we experience peace, we offer it. As we experience grace, we offer it. When mercy and grace and joy and peace overflow, it splashes onto the others around us. It's where surplus is good. When our lives are anchored in the sure and certain hope that God is a God of hope, and that God will work his plans so that everything will, will turn out for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. That's a good overflow. That's a good overflow. When our lives are anchored in the sure and certain hope that in this life and beyond this life, our destiny is secured in heaven, that's a good overflow. You know what that means? That means that we live with an eternal perspective, that the things that are going on right now, yeah, they're bumps in the road, but in the context of our lives and as we look to eternity, I mean, think about it. Does the little hurdle that we have to overcome now, does it really need to be as big a deal as we make it? Does it have to be as big? Does it have to be as dramatic? Or maybe, just maybe, in the light of eternity, we can deal with the things in front of us differently. And maybe we understand that this is temporary. And maybe we understand that when we use language, I'll give you an example. When we use language like always and never in our marriages, that's ridiculous language. Things like, you always do that. But what's the that? You always throw your socks on the floor. Not true. Sometimes I throw them on the bed. <laughs> and we use always and never. You never tell me you love me. Really? Never? Like you've never heard it? Ever? Always and never. This is a language that even should, shouldn't even be in our relationship. Because they're extreme. And when we think in the here and now, then we think extreme. But when we think in the light of eternity, it gives us perspective on the here and now. And we can take a step back from it and say, oh, wait a second. I actually just want to hear you say you love me. Wait a second. I actually just want to feel appreciated by you. So could you just not throw your socks on the floor? You see what happens? With an eternal perspective, we're able to take a step back from the here and now 
and be able to say, maybe what's immediate in front of me, though it's important, isn't everything and shouldn't be responded to as if it is. That these things can be overcome and these things can be worked through. Hope is about the confident expectation that we have in Jesus. If we live in confident expectation, then our lives are that much closer to being like Jesus. And we're also more likely to share the good news of salvation. You catch that? If we're confident, if we actually have that biblical hope in the return of Jesus, then we're more likely to share it. When we live life as if the future isn't going to happen, when we live life like Jesus will not be coming back, then we live without it in mind. But when we have that biblical hope, that confidence in his declared word that he is returning, then we live like he's returning. We believe him when he says, I'm going to surprise you. You're not going to know when I'm coming. People are going to be doing all the regular things that they've been doing in life, and I'm going to show up. It's going to be like a thief in the night. You don't plan for that. Twinkling of an eye, you're not going to see it. So if we live with that kind of expectation, then we live as if he could come now. And if we live like he could come now, how much more likely is it that we share the hope? Right? We share that hope. Hope is the confident expectation that we have in Jesus. And we're also more likely to share the good news of that salvation. So, what do we do? What do we do with this hope thing? I got some ideas. How about this one? I'm into action plans. I'm into giving people tools that we could just jump into right away. And so on our social media, you're going to find a link that we're going to post there today. And in that link, it's going to be a 10-day devotional reading plan on what's called Perfect Trust. That's the title of it. It's called Perfect Trust. It's a reading plan on the YouVersion Bible app. It's a fantastic reading plan that causes us to just dive more deeply into that hope. Now, here's what I would encourage you to do. I, can I just take a moment and talk to husbands and dads just, just very quickly? Can I have your ears for a second? I want you to know this. If you are married, your wife is desperate for you to lead her spiritually. You need to know this. The number one thing that I often hear from wives is that they're desperate for you to lead spiritually. Lead in this. Take them through the plan. Read the scriptures together. Read the word together. Do that. And do it with your kids too. Just make it happen. It's 10 days. I'll ask you this. What do you got to lose? Probably not much. What do you got to gain? I promise you it's going to impact your relationship with your wives for the better. It'll impact your relationship with your kids for the better. Why? Because you're in the word leading them in the word. It's amazing. It's just amazing. They're desperate for you in it. Wives, if I could, please don't do this. Pastor Rob said you should read. Please do not do that. I do not need that email. 
(laughs) Encourage them. When they do it, thank them. Tell them you believe that they can do it. Cheer them on. Be their cheerleader. And every single other person in the room, just do it. Read. Study it. Take it in. Because when you actually internalize this notion of biblical hope, this trust that we have in Jesus, your life changes. The more you trust Jesus, the more, less you trust self, which means you've got so much opportunity to get over bitterness and unforgiveness. You've got so much opportunity to get over addictions. Everything you could possibly think of, the more you lean towards Jesus and less towards self, the more access you have to overcome things in life. So we'll put that on our social media. That's your actionable this week. 10-day plan on what's called perfect trust. It's easy in the light of some of our experiences to despair of oneself. It's easy in the light of events to despair in the world. It's easy to drift into a cynical acceptance of a hopeless situation or even a defeated resignation that neither men nor the world will ever, ever be better. It has long ago been said that there are no hopeless situations. There are only men who have grown hopeless about them. In Christian hope, there is a conviction that God is still alive. And so because of that, no one is hopeless. That the grace of God cannot change him. And there is no situation so hopeless that God is rendered powerless over it. In other words, the grace of God abounds. You're not unforgivable. You are not unloved. You do not live life without purpose. God has something for every single one of us. And in the spirit of the season of Advent, we are reminded that our greater hope in the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the eternal life of heaven at his second coming instills in us a hope and a joy, a peace that overflows and splashes all around us in this life-giving hope. I'll read the passage again. May the hope, or may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. So that, you ready? So that you may overflow with the hope, with hope, by the power of the Holy Spirit. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him so that you may overflow with a hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Guys, we got a hope. It's not a hope and a prayer. It's not wishful thinking. It is confidence in God's declared word. He says he's coming back. He says we won't know when. We look forward with enthusiastic expectation because God does what he says he's going to do and he calls us to live in the way he asks us to live. Live with the hope that you have in mind and let it overflow, especially now in this season. As I pray, I want to give opportunity for anybody who wants to receive prayer this morning 
I know that there's difficult things going on. I'm going to ask the prayer ministry to come forward. I know that there's a lot of difficult things that we deal with in life. I understand that life can be complicated even at this time of year. Right? In this time of year, we're actually told statistically it's one of the loneliest times of year for people. It is. One of the loneliest times of year for people. And I think part of the reason behind that is that we're such an isolated people. We're in so desperate need of relationship, but we isolate ourselves so much because if somebody knew what was going on in my life, they wouldn't look at me the same way. Can I offer this to you? You're right. They won't look at you the same way. You know what they're going to look at you with? Greater love. Greater amounts of prayer. They're going to look at you as a person who needs the relationship. So if you're here this morning and something is hard, it's difficult, whatever it is you're dealing with, would you come forward and just let the prayer ministry pray over you? Share with them what's going on. They're not going to look at you negatively. They're going to look at you as a person who wants to enter into this relationship and allow God to do something in your life so that you can live with that expectation in mind. Because just be clear, God wants to move in your life. He's not interested in being on the sidelines. He's not interested in being second fiddle to anything else we got going on in life. And I don't care what that thing is. It could be family. It could be sports. It could be work. It could be anything. He's not interested in playing second fiddle. And so if you are struggling with that confidence and hope that you need to be having in Jesus this morning, I want to invite you to come forward and receive prayer while the prayer ministry is up here. And the worship team will be leading us in worship. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you so much for this morning, and I thank you that you are the God of hope, that you tell us that you want to fill us with hope to such an extent that as we trust in you, that we will have this hope, this joy overflow from us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you will help us to release more of our lives to your control and to your leading, that we would rest not on ourselves, but on you so that as we walk forward in this life, we live with the anticipation and the expectation that Jesus, our Lord, is coming at any moment. May we be about the business of sharing that hope. Amen.